Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. If you would open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is towards the back. You go to Hebrews, which is a larger book in the back, and then turn to the right a little bit, and you'll find it. And Hebrews, James, John, Hebrews, James, first and second, yeah, first and second Peter. I gotta sing this little song to make sure I, I keep it right. So that's how we that's how we learn things anyway. So the reason we do series is to focus our attention uh, in the Bible because the Bible has everything to say and we really don't have anything to say. Um, the Bible is the very breath of God. It, the, in fact, it says that the Lord says that His Bible. The Word of God is inspired. It is God-breathed. That's literally what it means by inspire. God breathes it out. And, and so we can learn a great deal about it. It's, I heard a statistic the other day. Somebody shared it with me. It was less than, I think it was 16% Christians read the Bible every day. And it, 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 hurts, it hurts our heart. Or they don't even have the intention of reading the Bible every day. Now, obviously, many, if not all of you, have a Bible reading plan and you intend to read it every day and you might get busy, you might be sick or whatever. But I'm talking about these people don't even intend on it. And I think there is a, there's a culture around that just says the Bible is just like any other book. And it's just not true. The Bible is living. The Bible is powerful. Every word, every jot, every tittle, every dot of an I, every cross of a T is inspired by God. And it is for you, and you have it right there in your lap or in the chair in front of you. And we take it and we read it. And, and so, but here's one thing I want you to know. The Bible is not God, right? It's just God's Word. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible, right? Make sense? So sometime ago, my buddies and I, we graduated from high school. We got loaded up our car. We moved to Dallas, and we found an apartment so we could go to college. And, and we got this apartment in a pretty rough area of town. And it was cool, though. And... Uh, because we were on our own, right? You know, so <laughs> just out of the house. So I remember one night <clears throat> I'm in my bedroom and I had a little curtain and behind that was a balcony and I had my amplifier right by the curtains and I had my guitar and I was just playing and had another roommate at work, had another roommate in bed and we were playing around. All of a sudden I saw uh, over by the amp, I saw smoke coming up and I'm like, awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> but that wasn't the case. Uh, my, my, I, I, all of a sudden it started glowing really bright and and I went over there, and it went on fire. I looked out on my balcony, and my balcony was on fire. And I opened up the door, which wasn't smart, but I did. I opened up the door, and people down there said, you need to get out quick. And I said, okay. So I shut the door, and I knocked on my roommate's door. I said, get up. The house is on fire. And, and sure enough, I mean, it was really, really bad. In fact, it gutted the whole place eventually. And it gutted the whole first floor, the whole second floor. kind of went around the went to the third floor and kind of started sandwiching in on the first floor. And I remember what I did is, is there was three things I grabbed. I grabbed my guitar and I grabbed my notes from my girlfriend. She had written me letters. And so I didn't want to leave that. And, and I grabbed the Bible and I, and I opened the front door and it's black with smoke. I didn't know which way to go. And I'm like, hey, I don't know which way to go. I don't want to walk into danger. And they said, uh, turn to the right. So I went to the left because I figured they were looking the wrong way. And uh, you know what I'm saying? So I, I went this way and I got out okay. And the right would have been good too, but <clears throat> so I made it out. And, and so when I got my letters from my girlfriend, who happens to be my wife now, who still is my girlfriend, by the way, but the reason I got them was because they were so meaningful to me. It wasn't my girlfriend, right? The, you know, that the letters weren't the girlfriend, but they were so meaningful to me. 
It was her words. And that was before we had internet or smartphones or anything like that. So letters were, and we couldn't afford a long distance phone call. So letters were everything. And so that's how valuable it is. And, and not that not that her letters were God-breathed, they were angelically breathed, but they weren't, they weren't God-breathed. And they were, but this is. This isn't God, but it does lead us to the very heart of God and His thoughts and His mind and His actions. And then what He thinks about me, what He thinks about you, what He has for you, what He wants for you. So we take the Bible incredibly seriously because of what it is, and it's exactly the breath of God. And so we're going through a series called strong. And it's how we are to be strong in all these areas of our life. And we've broken this up into 13 sermons in these five chapters. And we're going to be covering our salvation. We're going to be talking about our community. We're going to be talking about a strong heart, a strong soul. We're going to go to a section where we do strong marriages for two weeks, how to be a strong husband, how to be a strong wife, because it's covered right here in the Word of God. In fact, if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, This is where the theme comes from. The Bible interprets itself. We don't bring anything into the Bible, but we take out of the Bible, and this is why this series is named that. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, and there it is in verse 12. And it says, through Sylvanius, that guy started a light bulb company, through Sylvanius, whom I consider a faithful brother, I have written briefly to encourage you and testify that this is the true grace. In other words, this, what I've written, is about the way that God works on earth, the way that God saves, the way that God empowers, and I want you to know this true grace, and then he says, take your stand in it. I've written these things that you'll know what salvation and the way God works. Now I want you to take your stand. Be strong. Quit being weak. Quit being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, every emotion. Quit being emotionally handicapped by your feelings to where it reflects on other people. Stop. Be strong. So that's what we're calling this series, being strong. So this morning, I want us to look at a strong assurance, starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's just dive in. So 1 Peter chapter 1, here we go. Strong assurance. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know who Peter is, that's okay. Peter was a chosen disciple. Jesus is going along in Capernaum. He sees disciples. He says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He dropped his nets. He dropped his occupation, and he began to follow Jesus. He had already seen Jesus for maybe a year or possibly heard of his teaching, but then there was a time where he says, drop your nets and follow me, and he did. It says he is an apostle, which an apostle is a position in the church that no longer exists. According to Paul in Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthian church, he says an apostle is someone who had to have seen Jesus and been an eyewitness to his resurrection, and now he is an ambassador, if you will, an emissary. He is one who is sent directly from Jesus. That's what apostle means, a sent one. So there are no apostles today, capital A, but we have these apostles that small a, which we would call like missionaries. They're, they're people who penetrate culture on behalf of the Lord. But as far as an apostle, uh, they don't exist today. And I, I know different denominations, uh, they may call someone apostle, and I, I, I'll respect that. But it, it's, it, I'm just telling you the truth. That's just what it is. I don't know how to say it any other way. It's just an apostle. They don't exist today. They were uh, the 12, literally. And then He goes on. He's an apostle of Jesus. Something I found interesting is that where it says apostle of Jesus Christ, that's the only time that formula is ever used of any kind of a gift. 
It doesn't say a teacher of Jesus Christ or a prophet of Jesus Christ or a giver or a encourager of Jesus Christ. Only apostles. It's really unique. And I just thought you might want to know that. So an apostle of Jesus Christ. And uh, he says this. And this is typical. The author gives who he is, his status, and then the author of this letter tells who he's writing to. So when we write letters, <clears throat> we will say, hey, uh, Joe, and then you write your letter, or Joanne, then you write your letter, and at the end, you, you give your name. Back then, they put their name at the beginning because, you know, when we write letters, it's on pages, right? You just turn the, you just go to the, you go to the last page, and you see the name, you put it down. Then, they had it on scrolls. So when you were looking at a scroll, uh, instead of unrolling it and causing a problem and saying, oh, it's Peter, then rolling it back up and starting to read, they put it right at the beginning, just so you could read it very, very casually. So here's what he says. Here's the letter. To the temporary residents, your translation may say aliens or strangers. It's the same thing. You're in another land where you don't want to be. Temporary aliens, temporary residents of the dispersion in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And so here they are, <clears throat> probably as a result, as the body of Christ was under great persecution, the Diocletian persecution, the Herodian persecution, and all these guys who tried to kill the Christians would dip them in tar, stick them on a pole, and light them so they could see the path. I mean, treated Christians really, really badly, lots of torture going on, lots of running for lives, underneath a government that was trying to find you. People were spying you out, very similar to what's happened in a majority of countries in the 1040 window, in that longitude uh, or latitude of 10 and 40, right over in sandwiching the equator. And there it is, this danger zone for Christians, to where if you live in this area, you can't be, or if you are public, it will not go well for you physically. And so, we, uh, man, we're talking about a, fr a mutual friend of ours in China, who this morning we were talking about him and how there's just lots of incredible persecution going on to these churches that we know personally. We know these people and how they're being quiet and they, they, they sneak around and, and other people are, are ratting them out and they're getting disbanded they, in a dispersion, if you will. And so that happened back then too. Real, listen, let me just be clear. This world hates what I'm saying. The world system, the prince and the power of the air, these regimes that are going on overtly or covertly are against everything you're about to hear today. It's, 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 it's radical. It's not about a political style of, of ruling a country. It is about good and evil, the Lord God Almighty, and just human worship. And so there is a plot deep in the hearts of many people who reject God that they, and I'm not saying that anybody who's not a Christian is like this. I'm just saying that those in this regime, in this prince and the power of the air that is wanting to stamp out the message of Jesus Christ, it is very difficult. And what we see here in Scripture is what we see happening today in so many places. And he says here, they, you are those that left your homeland running for your life and you ended up in these places. So you're in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and today that's all in Asia Minor, meaning Turkey, just 350,000 mile area. 
And the way that he announces and lists these, these areas, provinces, and towns, it was actually in a circle. So this, was a, this letter that P- Peter wrote went out and it encircled the territory. So it went from one church to another church to another church. So there would be like this, this lady comes in, she's, she's probably tired, or a guy comes in, probably tired, and hands it to the elder of the church, and they start and they begin to read it to the church that's in trouble. And they're just reading. So it went to all those churches, and he's basically saying, I've got a message for you. So he describes them. You all are, look at what it says, temporarily residents of the dispersion. <laughs> Listen, you do not ever want that named of you. Like if I write you a letter and said, man, I know that you're being beat up for Jesus, and you're having to live somewhere you never thought you would ever have to live because you've ran, you dropped everything and left, you don't want to get that kind of letter from anybody. You don't want to be in that condition. And it's a, it's a bad situation. So literally he says this, you are temporarily residents, and then he gives another description of where they are, and then here's an adjective, something that's modifying a temporary resident, and, and, it go, and, you, and you skip all the, the geogra- ge- geography language, and it goes to chosen. See that? So chosen modifies their temporarily residents. Interesting, isn't it? So he's saying this, you all are chosen rejects. You've been rejected by the world, but you are chosen by God. And so you are a stranger because you've been made a family. You are lost on this earth because you've been saved by God. You've been rejected and cast away by the world because you've been invited into the very presence of God. In fact, you could say it conversely. You could say that they are strangers in the world because they've been chosen by God. Here's the point. When you follow God, you are chosen, right? And when you are a chosen follower of God, you will be rejected by this world system. No question. It's that radical of salvation. So this section, the first two verses, is talking about an assured salvation, that they belong to God in spite of what they're feeling in this world, in spite of what's happening to them in, 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 in the headlines of the newspaper, and, and families leaving families, and, and husbands abandoning wives because they couldn't handle the pressure, or wives abandoning, abandoning husbands because they couldn't handle the pressure, or kids, or parents. Or, no matter what the headlines say, here's what he's saying. I got you. I got you in my hands. And it comes from Peter, of all people. Peter's writing this. Remember Peter? Peter was the guy to first talk. He had a a foot-shaped mouth. I mean, his converse fit very nicely in his mouth. It just fit because he's always just blabbing and then thinking later. Anybody else have this kind of? Okay. So you know what that's like. So Peter was a guy who followed Jesus boldly. He was always or usually the first one to speak. Who do men say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's like, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. There's other times he would ask questions. Peter would jump up and speak up. It was happened over and over and over it happened. And there you are in the last night. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to betray me. And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to betray you. In fact, even when he's being arrested, he takes out his, his, his small sword 
and he whacks this guy on the head and it hits probably the helmet and slides off and goes and cuts off his, his ear and his ear falls to the ground. And Peter's like, dang, man, I thought I had him square on the head and just got, a, got an ear. And then it gets worse. Then Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, and Peter's probably like, what are you doing? I'm trying to kill this guy, and you're healing him. And Jesus is like, no, we're not doing that today. We're doing something else. So we're talking about a bold, bold guy, and Jesus looks at him and says, uh, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And he goes, no, 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 not me. And then I, I can just imagine, you know, Peter says, no, no, not me. And I bet Jesus goes, Dude, you are. So, and you are. And so all night he's like, I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to deny him. Then tries to cut off this guy's head. See, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. Look how good I'm doing. I, I'll stand under any persecution. And then later, if Jesus is taken, arrested, uh, indicted, getting, getting whipped and beat and, and mocked, he's over there by a little bit of fire. And a little girl comes up to him and says, aren't you with one of them? No, 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 no. I'm not with him. And then the rooster crows. Did it three times. He denied him three times. But yet, here's, here's, the, here's the best part of the story. And this is the book of John, verse chapter 20, explains this very clearly. That he's out, he's out fishing and Jesus is risen from the dead and he's all enamored of Jesus and he is God, he is Lord, but I've blown it. <laughs> I've blown it. I denied him with a, in front of a little girl over the charcoal while I'm warming myself up. I'm a wimp. And then, and then all of a sudden he sees Jesus and he all, gets all excited. He probably didn't think he has any place of being an apostle again or a disciple at all. But he jumps out of the boat, right? He gets so excited and he jumps out of the boat and he sees Jesus and Jesus has charcoal on the, on the shore and he's cooking fish. And he's basically saying, then he, then he commissions him. Peter, do you love me? Man, Jesus, oh, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Jesus, or Peter, do you really love me? Yeah, man, I, I do. I love you. I said that. And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know everything, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. And it finally dawned on him where Jesus picked him back up, raised his chin, and says, you're doing okay. Get back in the game. That's the guy that's writing to these people that are probably tempted to deny Christ under all this persecution. And then, so not only is it Peter who's writing this, look at what he says. You are chosen of God. So salvation comes from a plan that God made in eternity past. Do you know that? Your salvation was planned out in eternity past because you are chosen. You're, you might have another translation that says you are elect. You are elected. And you say, Brother Mac, I didn't know you believed in the doctrine of election. Well, you better. That word is used in Scripture, right? It's a scripture, It's a word that, that, that's used in Scripture. The question is, what do you believe about election? What do you believe about being chosen? And you, you may say, well, are you one of those double predestinarians? Are, are you one of those guys? Are you infra-sub or supra-lapsarian? I mean, what are you? And I'm like, quit calling me funny names. I don't know what those, why are you saying that? Listen, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, it's, it's like when you go into heaven, there'll be this incredible arch over the pearly gates. And on there, it'll say, whosoever may shall enter, or whosoever may shall come. In other words, you need to choose Jesus. And then when you walk through this arch, and you're just 
mesmerized by heaven. And you look back around and you look at the other side of the arch, it'll say chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, how and all the process of this choosing and the whys, I really challenge you to be careful when you claim to climb up into the mind of God and try to figure out his eternal decrees of whether he decreed the fall first, then provide salvation, apply salvation, and seal salvation, and assure salvation, and what order you put that in. You're welcome to try to crawl up in the mind of God, but I want to challenge you to be very, very humble when you do those kinds of things and you draw your charts and you figure out what you are as if you have a claim to the way that God made all of his election and choosing and predestination. And I would say, even after you do all of your studying, you still don't know, but you might think you know, but the reality is, are you doing what it says to do? Are you living it? Are you allowing that assurance of God's sovereign, incredible plan of salvation to soak down in your heart instead of trying to figure out who's the elect and who's not the elect? I don't know. I don't even know how it happened. I don't. And it's not, the Bible doesn't give us any of these charts. All it says is this, you guys who are scattered and you're under kind of pressure, let me tell you something about you. You are chosen of God. There's a member of our church. I won't use his name, but his name's Brian. But he's, <laughs> he'll come up to me occasionally and he'll say, man, you won't believe what happened. This, this, and this happened. I'll say, man, that's incredible. And he'll say, you know why it happened, don't you? And I'll say, why? He said, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> he says that all the time. And we laugh about it. And I'm like, man, I love it that you think that way. That you are a chosen. That's what favor means. Chosen elected. You are mine. Have, in studying, you know, just a little personal idea, in studying about God's choosing and election and that category, we've got all kinds of theories. If you want to talk about it and get into the roots of it, um, buy me a hamburger and we'll talk all about it all you want to. And then we'll, then we'll go win people to Christ, okay? But it, it, the thing that got, I got out of that more than anything else, I remember being 16, 17 years old and, and hearing this stuff for the very first time, and I remember walking away of just going, wow. I mean, I haven't been chosen for a lot of things. A few things I got chosen for. And some of it was pretty cool, some of it wasn't. But being chosen by God to be his child because God planned it out. Have, let me ask you this. Have you ever had that thought that I've been chosen by God because he, he chose me? not having done any good works, but just believed in him. And he says, you are mine. So your salvation, God planned it, just did. I don't know how, I don't know all that. All I know is if you respond to the gospel and you, are, you are, have a desire for Jesus, you are weird, you're different, you're, you're different than the world and you desire him and it demonstrates that he has chosen you, that, that there's this, there's this fruit. And so your salvation, your works, and, and, and your choosing him is not the root, but it's the fruit. See, there's a big difference. And we serve Christ, and we respond to him, and we love him, and we sing to him, and we give, and we pray, and we read, and we do these things that transform us. That's not the root of our salvation. That is the fruit of our salvation, and God planned it that way. But not only did the Father plan it, but the Son procured it. He bought it. Look at this. So according to the foreknowledge of God, that chosenness, he chose us according to the, who did he choose? The ones that are being rejected by the world. 
He chose us according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus. So you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Trinity right here. And, and if this was the only verse in the Bible that dealt with the Trinity, I would believe in the Trinity. They are present. It, it, it's like in the, in the baptism. When, when Jesus was baptized, you had Jesus, you had the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit there, there they were in present. Also, when Jesus told us to baptize, he said this, baptize them in the name singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not in all the names, as though they're unique. So there is a distinction in personhood, but unity in essence and being. And so you have this right here with God planning, the Son procuring, and this is how He did it. He did it by His blood. See, when Jesus died on the cross, He died on your behalf, in your place, underneath the wrath of God. So when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and listen, if you've never done that, you should do that today. Don't wait. He loves you desperately. And And when you come into this incredible assurance and this beautiful salvation, everything changes. But it only happens, not because of how cool you are or how much you own or how good you've been. It happens because Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And that God is withholding His wrath until His Son and pours it out upon Him for every sin you've ever committed. And when it talks about the sprinkling of the blood, it's it's reminiscent. It's a shadow of that speaks of when there was a sacrificial system. And back in the Old Testament, when they had a tabernacle and eventually a temple, and the high priest would slice the head of the heifer and take the blood and sprinkle it on the Holy of Holies for the satisfaction of the wrath and the judgment of God. And then the people, forgiveness is wrought, is experienced. And so when it's talking about the sprinkling of the blood, it's bringing us back to that imagery of the temple to where Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is vicariously in your place, bearing your judgment for you and His blood, not your blood, His death, not your death, His works, His righteousness, not yours. His blood is sprinkled on the altar and God says, it's done. Listen, when He was sacrificed and He used those two words, three words, it is finished in the English, one word in the Greek, (laughs) he just says, it's done. There's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. Nothing. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more than he already does. Hear me, Christian, listen. Positionally before God, I'm saying that purposefully, positionally before God, there is no way to make yourself look better in his eyes. No way positionally. You're accepted by Him. Now, that, that'll make you sing. I mean, that'll, that'll change your life. That's when you go, you know what? I am chosen because He has redeemed me, and I can now go into His presence, and it's so unique. And that's what it is. Have you accepted Christ as your sacrifice, your Savior? That's what I mean, Savior. That your death was my death, and I rest in that and not my own deeds. You know, I've talked to people, it's strange, because it's rare when they say, you know what? I've never done anything wrong. And I'm like, dude, you just did. (laughs) You just blew it. What's wrong with you? So, but besides those people, or you'll find out somebody say, you know what? Uh, I'm not as bad as others. And I'm like, well, let's do some talking now. Have you, have you ever hated somebody? Oh, yeah. 
Well, Jesus says you've committed murder. Have you ever coveted like you wanted somebody's, you know, new dress or new truck or whatever? Yeah, I've done that. Okay. Jesus says if you covet, you have stolen. Have you ever lusted at somebody? Yeah, I have. Okay, so you're an adulterer, you're a thief, and you're a murderer. How bad does it get? I mean, really, how bad does it get? I think you need a Savior. And it's not that Jesus does his part and then you do the rest. No, he does it all. So we, when we have communion, we don't turn it into the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus as if he's getting massacred over again and again and again. No, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished, never to be done again. Jesus came once to be the mediator, and he has no other sacrifice but him. And so his sacrifice on the cross being accepted by God, and the Lord says, you are chosen, you are mine, and that gives me assurance in my salvation. It's not about me. It's about him, right? And here's what happens. Jesus, watch this, here's the Spirit's work. So, and, so you are set apart by the Spirit for obedience. You are set apart. So you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So the Father planned the salvation, the Son procured the salvation, and the, and the Spirit empowers the salvation that you have now. He imparts and He empowers so that, so the Spirit applies it so that we can be, what, obedient. Set apart. You know what set apart? It's the word we get sanctification. It's a long word, and it means set apart. So we are being, being continually sanctified. We have been saved, punctiliar, one point in time, but we are being changed by the Holy Spirit to become obedient. Obedient. Now, that's a, that's a tough word these days, right? You know, people don't say, don't, don't, don't tell me I have to be obedient. Don't say I have to obey anybody. It's kind of like a bad four-letter word, obey, right? Don't, I don't want that. No, listen. If, since Jesus is who he says he is, and he's here in this room, and he has a will and a desire for your life, you really need to say, as someone who has assured salvation, I want to be obedient to him in his ways. So here's what we see here. Living in a strange land under a horrible regime, the Lord is saying you are strangers. So turn to the, turn to the right. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this. He's continuing the same theme. He does it all through the book. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I beg you, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents, okay? He, he lists it again, as rejected, uh, chosen rejects, as aliens and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. So just because you have a desire in your heart to do something doesn't mean it's permissible at this time or doesn't mean it's permissible to this level or permissible with these things or these people. In other words, it's saying just because you have fleshly desires doesn't mean you have an open door to satisfy those desires or pleasures. In fact, he says, if you give in to these things, they will war against you. You think you have a regime on the outside. No, this regime of, of, of diabolical plot can wage war on the inside as well so that you can be strangers in a land and you don't live like the people in that land, but you live very differently. Folks, we're here now. 
We don't have anybody beating down these doors or trying to arrest anybody. We have it worse. We have a tyrant. We have someone belligerent beating on your heart, and it's called comfort and success and affluence and joy and entertainment and popularity and the flourishing with all this that we have, and we love it, and we get drifted away by the streams of comfort and affluence, and it's deadly. Listen, desires that God doesn't sanction or desires that are being used in the wrong way at the wrong time will wage war against your own soul. Christian, I'm talking. Listen, chosen ones, I'm talking to you. He's talking to the Christians here in chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, remember, you are aliens. Abstain from fleshly desires, the ones that wage war against you. It's the, it's the things that we're being disobedient in. So oftentimes they get the, the question, and it says, it's the question that says, uh, people say, look, I, I'm kind of losing um, uh, my assurance of salvation. How do I know that I really am a Christian? And there's two, two things to look at. There's only two places to go with this. Did you really accept Christ as your Lord and Savior when you claim you did? Or are you living in sin? I mean, open, willing obedience to sin. Because both of these things will make you feel separate from God. As a Christian, if I'm not being obedient and I'm not, and, and I'm not walking in the Word and I get distracted, all of a sudden God feels a little distant from me and I start to say these things like, ah, Man, did I really get saved? Because I can barely hear his voice. I can not sense his spirit like I did. And fellowship is rough. If that's the case, then you repent. Say, God, forgive me my sins. I want to come back to you, and I want to be restored. But it may be that you're here today, and you may be thinking, you know what? I don't know if I ever have been saved because I jump headlong into anything that I can, and I run my life. I'm not looking for the Lord to run mine. There's no change in my life, and, and I don't know... There is a chance that you, you just you accepted Glenn Meadows Baptist as your Savior, which is not a Savior. Or you just did it because your parents wanted you to. Or you were at camp and you went forward because all your other friends did, but you never accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And there's a problem. Because here's the reality. We're to live different. We're to have the peace of God. We're to do family very different. We're to do marriage very different. We're to do our money very different. Not like the world does. We're, we're to treat one another with honor and respect. We, 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 we are to be very different. We're to be very strong. If, if you're a man, you're to be very manly. If you're a woman, you're to be very womanly. You're to be very confident that God is your Savior and your Lord, and you are satisfied with Him and Him alone, and you don't need the things that distract. You don't need those things. Yeah, we're all tempted in different ways, but the Spirit is given to us to become obedient to these things. Listen, you're chosen of God. Jesus bought you with a price. The Spirit is upon you to teach you and to lead you to be obedient to the things of God. Not obedience for obedience sake, obedience to draw near to the presence of God. That's who we are. We have an assured salvation, right? The Father planned it. The Son procured it. The Spirit of God applies it and empowers you to live in it. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmina's Baptist Church. 
For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.